Almighty God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Your sermon text is on the back of your bulletin from Mark chapter 10. And uh, the, the, the key to the chapter is contained in verses 13 through 16. That's just a few verses before the lesson this morning. Uh, it is the, the story of the blessing of the children. And you, you may recall that people were bringing little children to Jesus so that he might touch them or, or bless them. That's a conferral of grace. Uh, but the disciples, we read, were indignant. They were offended uh, by this. And uh, Jesus became angry. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he took the little children up in his arms and he blessed them. He gave them grace. And we may well ask, well, how do these little ones receive grace? Uh, frankly, they receive it the same way you and I do, as completely helpless people who can do nothing at all to contribute to our salvation. They're in the same boat that we are. In fact, Jesus holds them up as the model disciples. He holds them up as examples to the rest of us. And why is that? It's not because they're innocent. They're not. It's because they are dependent. They can do nothing for themselves. Everything must be provided for them. Everything must be given to them. That's what makes them the example, according to Jesus, for the rest of us. They are completely dependent upon the care of someone else. And our Lord would have us know that's your condition and that's my condition. Well, that's really the key to understanding the entire chapter because the entire chapter 10 of Mark is about human inability. And we see that in the following verses. This is the gospel lesson from this past Sunday the, the rich young man who comes running up to Jesus and he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a bit of an odd question. To inherit something, you don't do anything. You simply exist. And yet this young man wants to know, what must I do to gain this inheritance of eternal life? And Jesus doesn't say, well, commit yourself to me. He doesn't say, pray this prayer, the sinner's prayer. He doesn't do any of that. Essentially, he says to the young man, let me give you something that you cannot do. You cannot separate yourself from your possessions long enough to enter the kingdom of God. You can't do it. And the young man goes away sad, we read, because he had many possessions. You see, the chapter is about human inability. And that brings us to our reading for this morning on the back of your bulletin, verse 23 of Mark 10. This is the continuation now from the story of the rich young man. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. They were amazed, probably because those with wealth are viewed as having 
the blessing of God. God has showered his grace upon them, otherwise they wouldn't have wealth. That's the assumption that you and I tend to make. That's the assumption the disciples made uh, that day. And it reminds me of the story of a man, a wealthy man, who uh, stood up in church one day to give uh, sort of a personal testimony. And the man told the story of how he earned his first paycheck when he was a young man. And he said, I cashed it, I put it in my pocket, and I came to church. And I heard a voice say, give it all to God. And he said, I, I sat there in the pew and I, I kind of struggled with that. I kind of went back and forth on it but I kept hearing this voice say, give it all to God. And so I did. I put it all in the offering plate. And I want all of you to know, the man said, he said, I want all of you to know that from that moment on, the Lord blessed me beyond measure. I became wealthy uh, beyond my wildest dreams. And he says, all goes back to that one day when I came to church and I put all I had into the offering plate. I gave it all to God. The man sat down and the people were quite impressed. And a lady in back of him leaned forward and said, I bet you can't do it again. You know, my friends, um, this is why our Lord says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the story is about human inability. It's about our inability. And the scripture is full of that, and yet the scripture is full of God's ability. And that brings us to Roman numeral one in your sermon outline. You are a child. Doesn't matter what your age is, doesn't matter what your IQ is, your intellectual attainment. You and I are children. In fact, that's what Jesus says in verse 24. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, children. And he often referred to his disciples as children. Read, read John's first letter. He refers to us repeatedly as little children because that's what we are in the eyes of God. Before God, we can do nothing to provide for ourselves, nothing to contribute to our salvation. God must do it all or it's not done. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is impossible for us. We cannot let go of our things long enough to enter. Reminds me, of the account in Genesis when the angels went to Sodom to rescue Lot and his family. And uh, the, the crisis has come and the angels are saying to Lot and his family, come with us, you've got to flee the city, it's gonna be destroyed any moment. And we read Lot hesitated, Lot hesitated. And so what did the angel do? The angel took him by the hand and dragged him out of his house and dragged him out of Sodom along with his wife and two daughters. You see, if God didn't do it, it wasn't going to happen. We are children. 
completely dependent upon the Lord for our care, for our provision, for our salvation. That's the testimony of Scripture. That's the testimony about you and me. And if we ever stand up in church to give our personal testimony, we ought to talk about our inability and, and God's supernatural ability. There's the testimony, you see. So point A, we are completely dependent upon the Lord. No shame in that. We're his children, after all. And point B, as a child, we need the security of a family. All children need a family. We need parents. We need older siblings to look out for us. And this is what we read in our gospel lesson for today. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. Uh, Peter's saying, in effect, we're like orphans, okay? <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've left our wives, we've left our families, we've left our work behind. What is there for us? And Jesus said, and, and these verses have always been hard for me to understand until this past week, and, and it's still a challenge. Uh, don't get me wrong. Verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now. In this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And so he struck me, you know, how, how does, exactly does that work? How do we receive all this family? How do we receive all these material goods? Um, it's not visible to my eye, you see. And yet, we see the fulfillment of it in our second reading for today from Acts chapter 4. You see the same thing in Acts chapter 2. If you take a look inside your worship bulletin, from the fourth chapter of Acts, beginning at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. They had everything in common. Now, this is what I refer to, Roman numeral two on the back of your bulletin, you see, a family comes about because of a marriage, and the marriage is between Christ and his bride, the church. In marriage, Roman numeral two, it's never yours or mine, but ours. It's never yours or mine, but everything is ours. In your marriage, I hope there's not separate checking accounts or separate savings accounts. There may be rare occasions where a prenuptial agreement is a good idea, but that's rare. In most cases, a prenuptial agreement is planning for your divorce in advance. It's saying that my possessions matter more than my relationships here, you see. And, I, you know, I, I wouldn't enter into a marriage like that. It's not yours or mine, but it's ours. What you put your eyes on is what you end up getting. 
If your eyes remain on stuff, that's all you'll end up with is stuff, more than likely. But you put, your, you put your eyes on what matters. What matters is relationships. What matters is the person that you've taken vows toward. Point A, Christ and the church share everything. We share everything. We bring our indebtedness to the relationship. You know, in many marriages today, there's uh, student debt. You bring that debt into the marriage. It becomes the property of both parties. We bring our indebtedness into this relationship with Jesus, and Jesus brings his righteousness, his innocence, his blessedness to us. We share everything. We share his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, his spotlessness. And he shares all of our guilt and our sin and our indebtedness. That's what Luther would call the great exchange. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's the exchange. We share everything in this marriage. And point B, to love the Lord is to love his bride, the church. I mean, the two are one. Jesus and you and me. We're one. And anyone who says, I love the Lord, but I'm going to skip his people, doesn't understand the love of the Lord. To love the Lord is to love his bride, the church. You can't say yes to Jesus and say no to his bride. And so what does it look like when Jesus talks about receiving a hundredfold um, in terms of uh, mothers and fathers and, and brothers and sisters and so on, and lands and so on? What does it look like? It looks like the early church in Acts chapter 4. And I refer you again to that passage inside your bulletin. Notice carefully what it says in verse 32. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Now notice, there are things that belong to them. This is not communism. This is a spirit that is that communism never knew. In communism, there's a forced redistribution of goods and, and, a, and a, a public ownership of the means of production. That's not what's going on here. They still retain what they own, but they don't consider it simply theirs. They consider it ours. That's how they view it. It remains under their control. And when you read in the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5, you see this very clearly. They retain control over what God has given them. But when someone has a need, when someone has a need and it becomes known, someone does something. Sells something off, a piece of land, a piece of property. And the need is met. That's how it works. And, and we said three weeks ago, and I, I, I made this, trying to make it very clear, the rule of giving in the New Testament is that God has placed you in control of your finances, no one else. 
God has placed you in control. That's why St. Paul writes, let each one give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's in your control, no one else's. What God has given you is yours to decide. That's the rule. And that's what's going on here. They retain ownership, but when they hear that somebody has a need, then on their own, voluntarily, somebody gives something up, and the need is met. And we read in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, freely choosing to do so. No compulsion, no forced redistribution. Their goods remain under their control until such time as they feel led to sell something and give it up and lay it at the apostles' feet. That's what Jesus is talking about in the gospel lesson for today. We see it lived out in the book of Acts. And the same spirit exists here. We see it here as well. When someone has a need and that need becomes known, when someone hears about it, someone does something about it. I've missed the last two Alpha sessions. Um, uh, that doesn't happen. and. Uh, this past week especially, I, I still was under the weather, and it was Tuesday afternoon, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and I saw Ricky Fitch, and I said something to Ricky. I said, you know, Ricky, I said, uh, I've, I've got to teach tonight, and I said, I'm just not really feeling up to it, and, and uh, he said, well, uh, how can I help? And I said, well, I said, you know, I've if you wanted to teach, I said you could, but I said you, you, don't, you don't have to. He said, no, he said, I would love to do that. And, and I, I couldn't stop him from doing it. He was wanting to know, okay, give me the book. Tell me what I need to do. Where do I start? It was just this willingness that came forth from him that all, all I had to do was drop the hint that there was the need, and boom, there he was, and he filled in for me on Tuesday night, and he did a wonderful job. That's the spirit that Jesus is talking about. When he says in our gospel lesson, truly I say to you, there's not one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's the reality in God's kingdom. What's mine is ours. And that's the way the early Christians viewed their possessions. They remained theirs, but they viewed them differently. And I challenge all of us here today, whether it's our income, or whether it's our God-given accumulated assets, I would ask you to simply consider this. Just consider it. That what is yours is, in a sense, ours. God has given it to you. It's in your control. It's in your hands, not mine. 
But I think you find, when you understand the generosity of our Lord, who withholds not his own son, but freely gives him up for us all, how will we not also freely share all things with one another? When the need becomes known, God's people respond, and God's people respond by the power of the gospel. What's mine is ours. That's the way I view the assets God has placed under my control. And I would hope that the Lord will move you to see the same and to believe the same about what he's placed in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand. We confess together the good news in the words of the Apostles' Creed, page 159. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Gracious God and Father, we give you thanks that you have formed the church into the very bride of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, inheriting all of his goods all creation. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've called us out of darkness into light, out of the world, into the kingdom of God. We pray for friends and neighbors and family members who may be far from you, that you will call them into this grace as well. Lord, in your mercy. Dear God, we give you thanks for your generosity toward us all which creates our generosity toward one another. We pray, Heavenly Father, a prayer of thanks for all of those pledging time, treasure, and talent to your bride, the church. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we thank you for a wonderful uh, Taizé service this past Wednesday for the Fellowship Committee and their work with the Hayride last evening. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, these wonderful uh, staff and volunteers. And we thank you also, dear God, for those who will be volunteering uh, to be part of our Grace Voting Center on November 6th. We pray your blessing upon uh, that outreach. Lord, in your mercy. 
And dear Lord God, we pray for brothers and sisters in China. They're under tremendous pressure, increasing pressure. Uh, the Chinese government seeks to control the church, seeks to control the content, the very content of the Christian faith. We pray for those in positions of authority in China that you will turn their hearts toward you, Heavenly Father. And we pray for your people throughout China that they will remain faithful uh, in spite of what appears to be increasing persecution. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for those in our armed forces asking you to surround them with your care and protection. We also lift up to you our confirmands and their parents. We pray as well for our Alpha students, our Searching Scripture students. Bless all as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Lord, in your mercy. And Father, we pray for all who mourn. We lift up especially uh, Tim Moses and his family as they mourn the passing of Judy Moses. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for Judy's faith. And we commend Tim and Lori and Abby and Elizabeth and all of the family to you, Heavenly Father. Surround them with your love and your mercy during this time. Remind them of the cross and the empty tomb of our Savior and grant them and all who grieve your comfort. Lord, in your mercy. And dear God, we pray for all who seek healing. We lift up Sandy and George and Barbara. We pray for Pam and Linda, for Doug and Terry, for Danny, for Mary Ann, and others silently in our hearts. Merciful Father, may your power be present to heal and to restore and to renew according to your gracious will. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. <laughs>